Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. <laughs> good morning. It's good to see you all. I'm really glad that you're with us this morning, especially for those of you that are joining us online or if you're new. I'm really glad that you're here and you're joining us today. Well, I heard a story a while ago of a pastor who was just having coffee with uh, his friend who was a Buddhist, and you know, they had known each other for a while, and I mean, really, they loved to debate and talk about religion, and his friend was even open to the idea of Jesus. He even thought he was a good teacher, but he just didn't see him like the pastor did, like as the living God. And uh, so one day, the pastor friend said, you know what? How about this? Since you actually believe that Jesus is a really good teacher, how about you take one of his teachings and just try to do it for a whole month? And then let me know how it goes. And you know, his friend was up for it, so he's like, sure, yeah, I can do that. And he chose one and tried it out, and about a month later, they got back together, and he's like, so dude, how did, how's it going? And, and he, was, he was obviously frustrated <laughs> and was like, seriously, how do people do the stuff that Jesus teaches in this Bible anyways? He's like, I tried. I really tried. I mean, he had actually chosen a really, really good one from the Beatitudes. It says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, and this is Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And boy, with all his efforts and trying, he could not truly love his enemies. You know, the people he couldn't stand, the people who had hurt him, the people that, you know, he was just frustrated by. And after a while, you know, as they were talking about this, the pastor friend said, you know, that's why you actually need Jesus in your life, because you can't do it without him. You can't do it without him. And he is our living God. And when you ask Jesus into your life, I mean, he's the one that leads you and enables you and changes you so that over time, you know, as you're connected to him, you can respond like he does. I mean, this was, this was a turning point in his friend's life, realizing his deep need for Jesus. Well, two weeks ago, we did, we kicked off a really great new series that we're doing called The Gospel of Wholeness. And if you've been in this church for a while, uh, this is not new to you. I'm sure you've heard it a lot. But one of our founding pastors, Danny Meyer, actually came up with this material early on. And he gave the introduction even to this series about two weeks ago, which is really good. It's good to have him back. These are really foundational teachings, not just to the church, but to our lives as Christians and it really is all about just how we become more and more like Jesus, which is something in the church we call sanctification. And like this story illustrates, that is not something we can do on our own or by our own effort. It is a supernatural transformation that comes from Jesus as we walk with him and we follow him. You know, trying really hard and exercising our wills will only take us so far for so long. We need to be in what? Those intimate, abiding relationships with Jesus as the God of our lives so that we can, over time, become more and more 
like him. Well, last week, we covered the very first verse and the key concept in the gospel of wholeness, which is what? Genesis 3, 6 through 13. And you can see it up there. That key concept of this verse was what? The sin, that sin is the common problem. And as a side note, real quick, if you haven't already and you'd like to, you'd like to follow along with the outline that we have, you can actually download an editable PDF and fill it in on your phone or device. And you can even pick one up, a printed out copy that's on the info counter if you'd like to. You know, we won't actually be going over everything on today's outline, but I will get to all the fill in the blanks, don't worry. Uh, But most of it's written out for reference. We also have these really helpful cards. If you've picked one up, I definitely recommend you do so. And it has all of those key concepts and verses listed out, which is really helpful. So now the second verse, that we're gonna be looking at today, just further elaborates on what Andrew covered last week. So before we uh, jump into that verse, let's just invite the Holy Spirit to be with us this morning. Or we do, we just ask. We ask just that, Holy Spirit, come. And we ask the Lord, would you just move in this place today? We give you this time, and and we do. We just ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this verse is uh, really a cornerstone verse for the gospel of wholeness. And I actually remember when I first heard it. I was sitting right around here (laughs) when Daddy taught it the first time I heard it, and I remember thinking how simple and clear and yet how rich of a metaphor this was for really framing our struggle and our pursuit for satisfaction and purpose and identity. And I know it's been a really helpful verse for many of you as well. So let's go ahead and read it. It's Jeremiah 2, verse 13, and let's listen to what God says through his prophet, Jeremiah. My people have committed two sins, They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now in uh, ancient times, you may or may not know this, but a cistern was a man-made hole dug into the ground, usually in bedrock, that was designed to collect and store rainwater. So Israel, if you know this, Israel has a long dry season with relatively few natural springs. So catching that winter rain in cisterns was really important for them. They would even plaster the insides of the cistern to prevent any seepage of that much needed water. And if a cistern was broken, it was really just worthless. It was worthless, it was unable to hold anything. I mean, that cracked rock, that crumbling masonry could only hold a small amount of dirty water, eventually leaking away every drop of its already limited supply. And get this, when a cistern or well was completely dried up and was no longer holding any water, it was either filled in with dirt or it was used as a burial place or even a prison cell which actually we see that in the story of Joseph, right? In Genesis, he was thrown into an empty cistern. So with that in mind, what God is saying in this verse is my people have committed 
two sins, the first of which was that we've abandoned God, which is really what we talked about last week, right? And we turned away from the spring of living water, the source of life itself. What God is saying here, he's saying, I am the one who gives refreshment, real refreshment. I'm the one who gives lasting hope. I give sustaining peace. I am the source of your security, the source of even your identity. And I am the source of, of truly all you need to live life and to live it fully and abundantly. And yet, what do we do? We walk away from him, right? Why? I mean, we talked about this last week. This is what sin does in our hearts. We are so prone to wonder from God, even the God we love. And in our broken state, our flesh is bent away from God. And if we are not actively following Jesus, over time, we will coast farther and farther away from him. I've seen this in my own life. But then the second sin is we have dug our own cisterns. I mean, really, we're looking to collect our own source of life, just totally apart from him. And he knows something, though, that we don't, right? Try as we might, those cisterns are broken and they cannot hold the water that we seek. They cannot meet the real deep need for him, for real sustaining life. And, and really, this gives us a beautiful picture, <laughs> sad but beautiful picture, an accurate picture of every human being's condition. I mean, really, why would we take something of great value and deliberately exchange it for something worthless? John Bloom, a writer, he says this, he puts it this way, this is the core of every sin. Forsaking the source of greatest joy and believing we'll find greater joy elsewhere. See, every single one of us to one degree or another, have failed at our attempts at finding life, purpose, identity, even contentment from God and what God provides. So naturally, when we don't know what to do and what we've tried has failed, then we what? We pull out our shovels and we just start digging around, trying to find what only God can truly give us, but just on our own terms, you know, in our own control. So the key concept for today the key concept here, the second concept in the gospel of wholeness is empty wells, empty wells. And let me put it this way. See, only God is able to say, I am that I am. I mean, that, that's a statement there. <laughs> I am that I am. Only God finds his worth, his value, his identity, his purpose, is hope even, his peace from within his own being. But what do we know? You know, the world, I mean, the world will tell us, you know, we're our own gods, right? We're our own gods. Nobody can tell us what to do, right? So if we too just look within, we will find our identity. We will find our purpose and our value from inside of ourselves. And for those of you that might actually think this is true, that if you look hard enough, 
that if you listen to your own motivations and urges and desires, you will find what makes you happy. You'll discover your true identity within. I want to tell you something this morning with a lot of grace and love. That is an absolute lie. That is an absolute lie. We will never find what makes us truly happy apart from God. Apart from God. We are a complex and multidimensional being with conflicting desires all the time. And only our loving creator God can show us how to navigate life to its fullest. Amen? He knows you because he created you on purpose and for a purpose. And I'm sorry, that's not just some trite Christian saying. That is truth. And that is a lived truth for many of you here, right? A lived truth. I mean, this is your story. This is your story. Before Christ, I mean, you tried it all. You did it all. You actively ran from God, fulfilling, you know, fulfilling your life and putting in your life everything you could find to feel good and right, whatever felt good and right to you. But here you are today, and I have heard your testimonies, one after the other, saying, you know what God's greatest gift was? That by his grace, he opened my eyes, and I saw that all my efforts were lost and would never satisfy. And now, now I have peace and a purpose in Jesus and knowing Jesus that I never knew I could have. You know, we cannot say, I am that I am. None of us can. We can try, but it will not satisfy. It will not bring the freedom in life we seek. The truth is, we can only say, I am because he is. I am because he is. Our identity, our purpose, our value comes from outside ourselves from God himself, from knowing him, from having him speak into us and release us into the purposes and plans and identity that he has already given us. So (laughs) you can see the dilemma here. You know, sin, that common problem that we all deal with is summed up really by abandoning the one who gives us life. I mean, that's bad enough. (laughs) But then what we've done is we've begun to try to find it elsewhere apart from God. And the reality is this, and this is true for all of us, no matter if you are following Jesus or not, every single one of us has areas in our lives where we are looking for life apart from God to some degree or another. To some degree, let's normalize that just to some degree, instead of ignoring that reality. See, these areas of our lives are broken cisterns or empty wells that are simply our sins of choice. And all of us have these counterfeit ways that we are trying to find what only God can provide. And whether we realize it or not, each of us has our favorite sin of choice that we run to, right, for worth and and value and a sense of security or identity. And and the odd thing is, though, I mean, as just people in general, especially in the church, I'd say, is (laughs) that when we look at other people's sin, 
We are so quick to judge, aren't we? <laughs> we look at that person's struggle, their empty well, and, and boy, we just can't understand why they would run to that. You know, maybe like drugs or alcohol. We're like, don't they see that's a dead end? You know, all the while, totally oblivious to the fact that we run to, you know, maybe possessions to find a sense of, of worth or security. And I mean, really, I know that it's so easy to look, our, look down our noses at people who struggle, all the while, you know, either oblivious or perfectly comfortable with our own struggles. I know, that's something we do a lot. Larry Crabb says this. He says, sin is simply our effort to supplement what we think are deficiencies in God's goodness. It is trusting in self rather than trusting in God. See, when we begin to doubt in God's goodness, that's it right there. When we begin to think that he's somehow holding out on us, that, you know, that's really when we begin to turn away from God and we look for goodness elsewhere. And when we don't believe that God has our best at heart, that our worth and our value comes from him, knowing him and drawing near to him, that's when I'm naturally gonna try to find it elsewhere. I'm gonna begin digging and rummaging around this world to satisfy those longings that we all have. Our broken cisterns are just those empty wells which will never provide what God can only give, no matter how deep or how many empty wells we dig. I love this analogy that Danny came up with. I mean, imagine your life as a large field. And for some of us, we would see all these shallow little holes all over that field. You know, hundreds of these empty wells that we've tried to find life and purpose and only to find, you know, well, you know, that's not working. So we climb out and we start digging another hole somewhere else. And maybe for you, maybe it's a relationship. You know, that's where you get your sense of worth and identity. And after a while, you're like, yeah, that's not really doing it for me anymore. So then you think, well, if I just get a new car, then I'll feel like I'm somebody. And so you get a new car and, you know, over time, what happens? You know, that new car smell fades away and, and you know, it gets a dent or two or a scratch or two or dirty. And you're like, well, that's not doing it. So maybe then I'll I'll go get this job, this new job, or change my career, or, you know, and then, then I'll feel worthy and like I matter. And you now maybe when you look at your life, you know, you have a hundred different areas where you've searched and tried to get peace, life, and identity, trying to fill that ache in, in your soul, only to be left disappointed and, and dissatisfied. Now, but for others of us, for others of us, when we look at that large field, in the center of that field is one big, deep well. <laughs> I mean, it's in pristine condition. I mean, there's beautiful stones stacked all around, and there's an archway with flowers, a little brick path that leads right up to it. I mean, because really, we have been pursuing that empty well all our life. <laughs> all our life, we are convinced that though I may not have the peace and joy yet, it's in there and I'm gonna find it. <laughs> I mean, we just are so determined. Maybe it's our careers, maybe it's our marriages, maybe it's the fact that you are needed or how you look. We've got a death grip 
on finding life from that area. And we think, you know, hey, if we just work a little harder or, you know, get the other person to change or, or we make a little bit more money, then it will all be worth it. I'll finally have that satisfaction and happiness that I've been digging for all these years. But sadly, reality is whether we are the kind of person that has, you know, 100 different little attempts in our lives or the one that sticks with one or two areas, there is a consistent problem. They always run dry. They always run dry. And they always come up empty. You know, we've named already just a, a few brief examples. But I, I want to just say for a moment, let's just take a moment to look at our lives, even look at culture, and think about what some popular empty wells are. Some popular empty wells. I mean, think about it. They are really, they're all over the place. <laughs> the enemy has put a lot of really good-looking cisterns out there for us to trip over. And uh, they're different depending on maybe your story or your wiring or your personality or your past, even your hurts. But it's important that we can see them for what they are. I mean, this is, this is not to condemn. That's not why Jesus speaks to us. He does not condemn. But this is really to reveal the possible areas where we are already coming up empty. We're already coming up empty. So here are four possible categories to help us identify some of our empty wells. The first one is performance. That's a good one. Have you ever you know, met someone for the first time and, and you, know, you ask them the, the age-old question, so what do you do? You know? And, and you know, that for that person, they, they answer and... And you quickly realize, wow, for this person, instead of just giving me their job title, they give me their full resume. And you realize this isn't just a job for them. This isn't just a career. This is where they get their sense of identity and worth. And I know that's pretty common. I mean, we live in an achievement society where we have more opportunity to reach our full potential than any other generation in human history. And yet... Depression is through the roof. Feelings of inadequacy, I mean, inferiority, feeling the fear of failure or the fear of a lack of control. I mean, these are the hallmarks of our attempts to find life from our performance. Are you getting your sense of identity or worth from what you do, from your job, what you contribute, where you serve, or even your ministry? Hmm. I remember when I actually lost my job early on in my design career, I mean, it shook me, and it shook me hard enough that it really caused me to reevaluate the foundation I had built my life on. And what does Jesus say? I mean, all other ground is sinking sand, right? Now, second is our possessions. I find life through what I have, what I wear, what I drive, what gadgets I own, we live in a materialistic society where the constant refrain is work more, buy more, repeat. Work more, buy more, repeat. And we could be on that same track. I mean, do we justify every purchase that we make so that we don't feel so bad? Or maybe we even hide our Amazon boxes so our husband doesn't find them. Or maybe that's just me, okay. This cycle is generated by, you know, maybe our past, 
maybe, or, or maybe currently the advertisements or the influencers you are constantly watching every day. I mean, the world is actively trying to convince us that this next great thing will bring us happiness and a sense of peace. But do they really fill that void? Do they really feel that ache? I mean, do we ever really feel content and satisfied? I mean, just maybe even look at your bank statements. There's a reality check for us. Uh, even, even better yet, have a trusted friend look at them with you. Huh. Yeah, that, that, there's a thought. <laughs> uh, it's a great way to see. Is this where I'm getting my life from? The third one is pleasure. Uh, this, is, this is a big one. This is a big one, especially nowadays. And I think an all too familiar example of this, and I know there's a lot of sensitivity here. Uh, especially with uh, younger people in the room. So I'm going to say this in generality, but many people are defining themselves today based on their orientation. And while that whole area is part of our humanity, is it the most important thing about you? Is it? Will it really bring you that, that longing, that, that sense of belonging or satisfaction that you seek? See, I, I believe that even that beautiful area of our lives is not a large enough cistern to hold that inner ache for life, meaning, and purpose. I mean, we, we are, we are desire-based creatures. I mean, we, we all have desires. We, we want love and, and romance, maybe. You know, maybe for you it's food, you know, you're a foodie, or for you, you travel, you know. Um, for some of you, maybe it's entertainment. Uh, it helps you check out for a while and not think about the hard stuff in your life. But if it's what you turn to all the time, has it just become another empty well? And sure, I mean, desires are good, and, and those things even can be good, but, but are they just momentary pleasures, leaving you lost and empty, only wanting more. And lastly, there is people. People is a big one <laughs> for, for you. Maybe you look to people for your self-worth and acceptance, a, a deep, deep desire to be connected and belong. And I'm not just talking about the basic need we all have for those things. I mean, we are created to live in community but it's when we are actively searching for that validation from others. Maybe we always need to be in a relationship with someone, you know, pursuing a relationship to feel our worth, or, or we're constantly fearing what others think of us to the, point, to the point that at times it is crippling. It's crippling. Maybe, maybe you've never really left the high school cafeteria you know, and, and every time you walk into a room, you feel the weight to be cooler than you actually are, to be accepted. And do you ever feel that pressure to project an image of yourself that doesn't quite correspond with reality? Always, you know, wearing a mask or, you know, more of an airbrushed version of yourself. And, and I get it. I mean, I know we, it, this is all exacerbated by our social media culture. Uh, but when your emotional state rises and falls based on if other people notice you or how many likes you get on Instagram, maybe people or what people think about you has become 
an empty well. Maybe you get sucked into you know, the comparison game and you can't turn it off. I mean, because there's always going to be somebody better looking than you, smarter than you, cooler than you, more successful than you. See, for many of us, there is this deep, deep, empty well of insecurity. Insecurity, boy, we are longing to fill that, that hole. And I mean, it's just crying out from this depth in us, like, will somebody love me? Will somebody accept me? Will somebody notice me, pay attention to me? And we're trying to find our identity and our worth and our value from people. But again, what do we know? I mean, people are, they're not perfect and they disappoint. And it is never enough to fill that void. You know, if you were here at the Women's Summer Series, I shared this story. Uh, In June, Adam and I went on vacation for our 15-year anniversary. And at the beginning of our trip, we stayed three days. I really don't know why we did this. No, (laughs) stayed three days in a really big touristy city. And sure, you know, it was a really nice area. I mean, it's like crazy expensive shops and malls, but people were everywhere. I mean, you couldn't get through the streets and sidewalks without like just bumping into people. And it was loud, it was busy, and everyone was dressed to impress. And about two days in, something started to crack open in me. (laughs) And it was this increasing sense of insecurity. And yeah, sure, you know, I was out of my rhythm and I was in a different place, but what it did is it brought something to the surface that had been buried down deep that's still there to some degree, which is this this underlying insecurity about how I looked and if I was really loved. And I'm sad to say I didn't really deal with that very well. (laughs) Instead of turning to the Lord, I turned to an all too familiar well, which was Adam. It was blissfully unaware of the battle going on inside of me, which of course just made me mad and stirred up some more discontent and disappointment. And then I think I just threw Adam for a loop because at one point there was a lot of tears, a lot of unfair blaming on my part. Bless him. I don't think it was about it until a day later when we actually went to a more slower-paced area that the Lord started to really talk to me about what had happened. And he corrected me. And it reminded me that not just a couple weeks earlier, I had been on my you know, annual silent retreat and I was praising him about how feeling how seen and loved I was by God. And boy, <laughs> the moment that silence ended and my external peace faded, how quickly I turned to the closest thing I thought would satisfy my need to feel secure, which was Adam and not the Lord. I love what um, Gary Thomas says when it comes to our relationships. He says, what we fail to realize is that God must be at the center of our hearts and that all of our other relationships should flow out of that one central relationship. And as odd as it may sound, I have discovered in my own life that my satisfaction or my dissatisfaction with my marriage has far more to do with my relationship with God than it does with my relationship with my wife. Therefore, we should never blame our spouse for the lack of fulfillment. Uh, We should blame ourselves for not pursuing more diligently a fulfilling relationship with God. Those are some strong words. (laughs) Now, uh, after repenting uh, with the Lord, I, I went and I apologized to Adam that day and 
And thankfully, you know, the rest of our trip was really sweet. But if this empty well of people at all resonates with you, I would even invite you to check out a class that we're going to be promoting next week here at the church, uh, taught by Tony King. Uh, called Relational Skills for Everyone. And if you've been to any of her classes, you know it will be rich and extremely practical. I encourage you to definitely check that out. Well, empty wells, as we've said, are just these insufficient ways, these means of trying to get what God longs to give us as we walk in relationship with him. You know, oftentimes our, our empty wells are neither good nor bad in and of themselves, but it's our attempt to try to find living water in the empty well that's the sin. God is the only source, the only spring of life that will never run dry, and he longs to give us his acceptance, his provision, his joy and peace, his security, his words of life his power, so that we can not just live more abundantly and free in our lives, but that we can also extend that grace and love to others. So this brings us to our last point. What is our job as followers of Jesus here? The real key here, our job is to identify, right? Identify and abandon our empty wells and then come alongside others with great grace helping them to see that perhaps they're trying to find life through self-made means apart from God. And I know that's hard to think about doing with other people because let's just be honest, we don't like talking about our sin, especially you know, talking about sin with other people. I think in culture today especially, this world does not like to talk about sin at all. Instead, it really, it's interesting, it puts these really nice names to all of our empty wells, doesn't it? So that we don't have to feel so bad about them. So maybe, you know, the empty well of food or control is just called an eating disorder. Or for drugs, maybe it's labeled as a disease or an addiction. Or in relationships, you know, we don't like saying that we have this sin of trying to find life from people so we just call it codependency, you know, because that's, you know, it's a less intrusive way of saying it. Or maybe you have an empty well of gambling, but instead you've been told that you have a gambling disorder as though you have no real role in that empty well. Or if it's our careers, I mean, nowadays it's practically a com compliment to people to say that they're workaholics. I mean, you name it, the world has renamed it. Words have power. And in renaming things, it can have detrimental effects because then we don't have to call sin, sin. But what do we know from last week, right? Sin is the common problem. And if we don't deal with the sin, then we fail to deal with the issue that is at the core of the good news of why Jesus came. Jesus came to bring a new kingdom, to free us from that bondage of sin so that we can walk in healing and wholeness with God today. But first, we need to recognize our empty wells as sin and recognize the lies that we have believed about how those things can fill and satisfy our lives. And then, by God's grace, God's grace, walk away and abandon them. 
Maybe for us, we even need to abandon them completely and fill them in with dirt so that they don't become to us a grave or a prison later on. See, this is what we are going to be talking about throughout the rest of this series. And it's going to get really practical. That's going to help us to see how to lay our shovels down, having identified them, having abandoned those empty wells, how we can then turn to continue to follow Christ so that we can be experiencing that connection, learning to receive from God what only He can give. But I want to say this, we have to be a little bit careful here as well to not make this quest for healing into a new empty well. See, our focus in this series and through this series and our lives cannot be the pursuit of wholeness, but rather our pursuit must be centered on our relationship with Jesus, the Holy One. So in closing, I want to invite the worship team to come on back up, and I'm going to close with this familiar story. On a hot Samaritan midday, just outside of Sychar, a woman experienced in digging her own broken cisterns was on her way to Jacob's well. In her heart were the ruins of five relational cisterns she had tried so hard to make work, each now desolate and bone dry. And if nothing changed, soon there would be a sixth. And when she arrived to the well that day, she found Jesus sitting beside it. He was waiting for her. I'll just say it is not uncommon that we find Jesus waiting for us beside one of our empty wells. He had come to save her from all of her futile digging and to give her living water that would become in her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she was skeptical at first, but then he gave her a taste and she drank deeply and for joy she went and she told all of her fellow townspeople about him. You know, if, if the woman at the well resonates with you at all. I mean, really, we see ourselves in her. And though her cisterns might be different than our own, own, they are no less futile or empty. Apart from God, we know everything comes up dry. Nothing in this world can channel or store the water we long for most. But in Jesus's encounter with this woman, what do we see? We see the heart of God for us. Jesus has come first, what? Not to bring judgment. Not to bring judgment, but to seek and to save all who are lost. And maybe that's, maybe that's you today. You've never turned to God and asked him to come into your life before. Well, today he is inviting you to do just that. He's inviting you to repent of trying to figure it out on your own and and just turn to him and receive that gift, receive that gift of relationship and life that only Jesus can give us. I would encourage you to pray, even as we worship here, pray and ask Jesus, today's the day I need you to come into my life. Would you come? And I would even encourage you to 
to just share that with a friend so that they can pray for you and bless the decision that you've made today. Now, there is a very real battle in our lives, and it is a, it is a water fight. It's a water fight. Which source of water do we believe will really satisfy us? Which one has the most real and long-lasting fulfillment and joy in it? And oh God, he offers us the deepest satisfaction, the sweetest refreshment, and life forever. And what he asks of us, I mean, it kind of makes sense to forsake what will lead us to emptiness and despair and to instead choose the greatest joy. Amen, amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.